When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. Always much appreciated when you tune and listen. So I always thank you very, very much. Today, I have former Washington tight end Logan Paulson back on the show. Wanted to talk to him about what he saw down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. He was down there last week. He knows what this team needs. They need offensive linemen. He was watching the offensive linemen. They need some cornerbacks. He was watching some of the cornerbacks. Some of the top ones weren't there. We'll get into that, all that. But what were his impressions of some of these players, guys that he thinks might make some sense for Washington very early in the process, just early February. So we have almost, we have a couple more months before the draft. So just a little bit of intel right now from somebody who knows what the hell he's looking at. Also talk about quarterbacks because why not? It's important. But I also think the more we talk about it, there's a conclusion here. The best solution is not to go out and get one of these big-name guys. It's to do what they say they're going to do and stick with Sam Howell and build around what he can do and don't go crazy and try and get a Derek Carr or overspend for this guy or that guy. And then what do you have? You still need an offensive line. Build up all that stuff. Give Howell a chance. See what he can do, etc. Anyways, so we talk about all that. And then I also ask him about Eric Bieniemy, whom he was with out at UCLA once upon a time. So there you go. Stay tuned for that. Before we get there, just one or two minutes on some of the coaching news. Chris Harris is now officially Tennessee's pass game coordinator on defense, as well as their defensive backs coach. He, <clears throat> excuse me, he had interviewed for the defensive coordinator job out in San Francisco, obviously did not get it. So he's going to Tennessee in that role, which means Washington, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, Washington eventually will promote from within. I, my guess is they're not going to make all these things official until they settle this offensive coordinator search. But look for one that does happen. Christian Garcia, who's been a defensive quality control coach, but has been working with the defensive backs, he will be elevated to a higher role. I think Richard Rodgers and Brent Vesselmeyer also will have elevated roles as a result of all this. So, it's, and I think I've told you before, Garcia would not be necessarily replacing Harris. He would just take that, I guess, that third uh, defensive backs coach spot. Others will have elevated roles. So, but it was just that Garcia would go go from being a defensive quality control coach to an, a, more of an assistance role as a secondary coach. So anyway, that's what I'm expecting to happen. Not going to be official for a little bit, probably until again, once they get all the moves settled, they still have, they still want to talk to Eric Bien-Me after the Super Bowl. And the other guy that I think will be interesting to watch is Eagles quarterbacks coach, um, Brian Johnson. He's, he was a hot name earlier on in the search. My understanding, I know that they've had interest in him because I know they reached out to him. However, 
that my understanding is that he is waiting to see what happens with Shane Steichen, who is Philadelphia's offensive coordinator and is a candidate for the Indianapolis Colts position. If something happens with Steichen and he leaves, then obviously the Eagles would likely promote Johnson, move him up. If he do, if that's not what happens, then I'll be curious to see if he has any interest in Washington's position and if he would in, indeed either interview or or have any again have any interest. But he's just a name to watch. But that's the, those are the dominoes that would have to fall for him to then be interested in this position. And then if you're if you're Johnson and you're kind of a hot young name, do you want to have your first job be one where? You don't know what's going to happen with the head coach in a year. You you know, would you want to wait a year, another year and put yourself in a better position, maybe where there's a little bit more security so you have a chance to really prove yourself as a play caller because it does take a minute to get used to calling plays. And that's something I think people have to appreciate throughout all this. And it's why a guy would want to have a higher level of security than he may have in Washington, at least for the time being. And even with a guy like Bienemy, I know the, you know, the adage is, well, if he, you know, if Rivera gets fired, he could be elevated to head coach. Listen, man, if Bienemy's offense does well, I don't think Rivera's going anywhere. I think it's going to stay because that would mean the team is probably pretty good. If it's, if it doesn't go, you know, and, and if, if the team isn't going to very good, it's probably means that the offense didn't do what it needed to do to help the situation. So, uh, you know, I mean, there's obviously different scenarios and all that. It could very well be, they go 10 and seven, the head coach says, I'm done. I'm done with this staff, but I really want to keep this guy. Who knows? We don't even know who the owner is going to be, but there are a lot of scenarios and all this, but again, it's why a guy like Johnson may decide to wait a little bit. Whereas Bienemy. It certainly does sound like, you know, that there's ties with Andy Reid to John Harbaugh in Baltimore and then obviously Rivera here. So I think there's some familiarity with these coaches have with Reid and what he would say about Bienemy and then what Reid would tell Bienemy about those, about these coaches, et cetera. So I think that's why he would make sense here. And plus he desperately wants to get out and create his own name. And he's at a point He's at a much different point in his career than Johnson would be. And so I think he'd be willing to probably take that shot with one of these places. We'll see where it all goes. Still more time to go. Game's not until Sunday. And after that, then we'll see where what, what, what transpires. Anyway, that's it from me. You want to hear from Logan Paulson. So do I. So here's my conversation with former Washington tight end Logan Paulson. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Are you ready for the biggest Sunday in sports? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57, has all the Super Bowl action you need. New customers can bet just $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get in on Super Bowl 57 excitement with DraftKings Happy Hour Super Boosts. Check the DraftKings Sportsbook app every day between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. Eastern Time to see what prop bet will be boosted. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code KIME, K 
K-E-I-M. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in bonus bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code KIME. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Logan, back from the Senior Bowl. And by the way, I'm wearing a cap because I need a haircut. So <laughs> we're at that kind of point in this. In the, and sometimes I like to wear a hat on these anyways, but I'm wearing it with the sweater because I need a haircut. And that's a full admission. And I went to my barbershop yesterday in my little town. I drove by. There were three people in line with my barber. That means about 45, 50 minutes. I'm not waiting that long. So I still have to go back today and get a haircut. I hope I can get in there and then, you know, just kind of wish me luck with that. Anyways, nobody cares about my hair. Not even me. Oh, that much. Don't say that. Come on. <laughs> okay. Well, well then, but I just, you know, for, I mean, I wear a hat on here before anyways. It's not like it's a big deal. Yeah. Anyway, senior bowl stuff. Before I get to what you saw at the senior bowl, because there are a lot of positions or a couple positions in particular down there that seem to be strong O-line corner um, areas that you were versed in. I do want to start off at quarterback only because We've seen some of these mock drafts, early mock, early mock drafts coming out, and I've seen Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from Florida, a couple times now projected by people who study the draft mm-hmm. as going to the commanders. I don't see that as a realistic possibility. What about you? I mean, obviously, it's a possibility. You know, like quarterback's the most important position on the field. I, I do think Anthony Richards is, is a little bit of a project, right? He, he's very raw. He's got all these tools. Um, you know, he's kind of in this new vein of toolsy quarterbacks, guys that have good traits, guys that can throw the football far, guys that can run fast. The reason they're designated as a toolsy quarterback as opposed to a good quarterback is because they have a long way to go in terms right. of development, right? And I and I just don't see them being willing to invest that kind That's, of time right. in, in a guy like that. You know, it's funny, like there's obviously the top two guys, Stroud, or three guys, Stroud, Levis, and Young. And I think those guys are kind of in a category of their own. And I think it would take a ton to get up and be in play for one of those guys from a draft capital and personnel standpoint, which leaves Richardson as kind of like the one that everyone's talking about. Right. But I do think people neglect uh, Tanner. I think Tanner McGee is his name, the kid from Stanford. Yeah. Um, he would be around in the second round and is a guy that's a little bit more polished, a guy that is very smart, got the physical tools, was a five-star recruit, all those things. So I do think that you know, I think people focus on Richardson because he's a big name from a big school, right. but I think a guy like McGee would probably be a more natural fit. Now, after that, after that kind of top five, five guys right there, I don't think there's a lot in this class that gets you excited that says, hey, you know, we really got to kind of target this guy. So it, I think it's I think it's kind of McGee for this t- staff or bust just because of where they're picking and because of the time constraint in terms of developing Richardson. Um, does that does that preclude them from doing that? Maybe someone on the staff falls in love with them and they say we got to have him at sixteen. It's too good to pass up. That's entirely possible, but um, I just don't think it fits kind of with the draft vision that they had last year, which was a lot of fifth year seniors, a lot of guys who played a lot of football, a lot of guys who were experienced, a lot of guys who could help you right now. Um, so I, I just I don't see that. And I think, you know, like these national pundits, they're like, oh, they need a quarterback. Right. Like, and they're kind of not totally invested in the kind of day-to-day stuff the way you are, you know, right. Or I am. Right. And I do think it's the long run. It's the um, work it would take, I think, or the, the investment, I should say, because it is right. an investment. And when you have a staff that's going in there last year, they do like Sam Howell. And I think that point needs to be, keep getting emphasized. So I think you have to compare Howell to how, 
you where is Howell at versus where this player is at and sure. where this player could get to and how long that would take. And so I think that's would to me preclude anything like that in that round. And you, you know, you're going to want to get somebody that can help you win right now. That yeah. would, that's my thought on it. And, and, you know, and again, we know that they like Sam Howell, but you know, is, are they a hundred, a thousand percent wedded to him? No, because they say he has to win the job, mm-hmm. but they really like him and they're going to give him that opportunity. That's why when people are projecting him there, I'm like, I don't know that I would see that because I do. I think if they were in year one of the program here, yeah. yeah, maybe. But I think going into this year where you need contributors and you have other issues on the line in the, in the defensive back to a corner or back seven, needing some more players there, that it would be difficult to see them using a pick that high on a quarterback. You know, the other thing, the other funny thing, Logan, is there are quarterbacks who will be available that they were interested in last year. Derek yeah. Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, even Aaron Rodgers. But I don't know that I see them swinging for a guy like that um, because I think they know that they have a guy that maybe they like and they should build around, at least maybe not build around, but give give him more and build out the roster rather than going that other way. Yeah, I think so. And I think like when you look at, I don't know, like Hertz is just kind of an easy example. Like look what that, look what Philly did with him, right? He was a guy who had some very good traits, a guy that needed some development. And instead of saying we need to kind of go quarterback, quarterback sale, buy, sell every single offseason, they said, let's just sit with this for a year. Let's develop the roster. Financially, we can do it because he's on a rookie contract. And I think that is, that's something that I've been advocating for for about two years now, like just kind of sit build the roster out it's it's not where you think it is you know like there's some areas that can be improved like o-line kind of being example a right i think you can make some improvements in the secondary whatever at linebacker all those different things but philly did it they, they were just very patient they got the pieces in place they built around this young player and the young player developed as the roster developed right and i think that that's something that fans need to be aware of is like is sam howell jalen hurts probably not but can he kind of Im- with an improved roster, can he do something that makes that gets this team in the playoffs and lets them win a playoff game? I think so. You know what I mean? And it's just about, but it's not, it's not only Sam Howell. It's there's right. other elements here that need to be addressed. And those are some there's some big question marks about the ability to do that. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I think that to me is kind of where I would say just, you know, don't go swinging for a home run uh, on a pick that you can use to kind of build your roster out. You know, build the roster. Get it, get like a deep, thick roster, which is kind of what Philly does, which is what right. Seattle did a couple of years ago, what Baltimore did with Joe Flacco, what the Steelers did with Big Ben Roethlisberger, and and see where the see where this is at, and see what you actually need going into twenty twenty four. I think, and and I think the other thing is if if you went and I don't want to waste too much time on this, but like if you went and got a Derek Carr, you still need to build out that offensive line. He is not a cure all, and you're going to spend a lot. You would have to you know give up stuff for him and then pay him. And that takes away your ability to improve what he would need. And I think right. the same is true with, you know, a, a, certainly a Jimmy G coming off an injury again, you can't count on him because of the health, but you still need to build out other parts of the roster. Do you have that ability? That's why I'm very intrigued by Howell to see what more he can do because mm-hmm. there are certain traits that I really like that he has shown. And, you know, so I am curious on him. So I'm okay with that route anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, but the other, the other one I forgot to, I wanted to ask you about too, because you brought this up on your, here's a little plug, your take command podcast with Craig Hoffman. And, you know, I wish Craig would let you talk more. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> I'm, I love, I love Craig. And I actually missed 
Craig, Craig and I used to talk all the time after games, like because you have mm-hmm. to go back and watch and all that. But anyways, you brought up Eric Bieniemy because you were at UCLA yeah. with him. And if you want a fuller discussion on that, again, take command podcast. You guys talked about him, I think, a week or so ago. Yeah. And but what you were at UCLA, what was your experience being around him? So obviously, like I need to preface that by saying that you know this was 15 years ago when I was at UCLA with him. Right. Like it was my freshman year of college, and so he was a guy that um, was was very, very, very intense. You know, he was very, very intense with the running backs. He would get them out early. I mean, I, I've never seen a, a human being undress somebody the way that Eric Bieniemy could undress somebody with his words. Um, he was very good at that. He had a very high standard, and it didn't matter if you were Maurice Jones-Drew or the fifth-string walk-on running back. He was going to coach you the same and coach you to the same standard, and um, and that's something that I respected about him. And you know, he he really never said a crossword to me my whole time there because I was not one of his guys. But I would imagine if he's the OC, he's going to kind of operate under that same parameter like this is my standard this is my belief and this is how i feel it's best to communicate it to you to 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 get the result i want um you know and so very high standard not afraid uh, of you not not afraid of the name a lot of coaches get afraid of the name they they kind of shy away from coaching the star a little bit harder mm-hmm. i never saw that with him he also had a lot of responsibility there while i was there he was the recruiting coordinator so he also had the ability to like shut it off and go into your home and be like, you know, I remember him sitting in my living room and being like, hey, Logan, we really want you to come to UCLA and him joking around with my parents. And, you know, you would never have known. And then you get to UCLA and you get to see this side of him, you know, that's it's a little bit different. So um, from my understand, he's kept a lot of that same coaching approach. And um, and in some ways, I think that's great. I think it's great because that's who he is. And, um, you know, for a team like Washington um, you know, something we've talked about is like, you know, what it, it's hard to tell sometimes at practice what the standard is. Right. I guarantee you, if he's here, you will know exactly what the standard is from the jump. So, you know, if you're looking for somebody like that and someone that's going to really push everybody on the roster, I think that's your guy. Does that, and this will sound funny, but like when you, you know, you hear of college coaches, you can treat a college guy like that. Now, yeah. listen, he's had, He's been a – I know Adrian Peterson swears by him. Right. I remember talking to him a few years ago about, about Biennemi. And for the same reason you said, but but AP liked the hard coaching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do some pros bristle at that? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, like there was times where I'd – you know, I'm, I'm a pretty mild-mannered guy, and I remember getting – getting cussed out pretty good by some coaches. And and I, I remember wanting to fight the, the coach. Now, did it motivate me to practice better and, and do the thing that he wanted to? Yes. But I've seen, I've seen players, you know, take just, I don't want to say physical confrontation, but it, it kind of shuts certain players off. Right. I think in the NFL, you're, you're both grown men. Like I'm a, I'm, I'm a player. I've got kids. I've got a family, you know, like, like I've been doing this for a long time. I don't need you talking to me this way. And a lot of guys feel that way. And so, um, you know, he doesn't care about that, quite frankly. Like he's going to coach you how you're going to get coached. And uh, you better get used to it. You better get your really thick skin and um, be ready to play some football. You know what I mean? And I think, um, you know, that's just how it's going to be if he's here. And obviously then that's a part of it. And I think we both agree, like there could, you could use a jolt of energy on that yeah. side of the ball and a, and a higher um, degree of urgency, maybe yeah. Um, yeah. If, for lack of a better phrase, then it comes down to the play calling. And really until you're, I know he's done that in KC and he, you know, like we don't even know if he's going to be the guy here, but right. he's done that in KC 
and um, we don't know how he'd be as a full-time guy, but you don't know about anybody to the full-time guy. And it's funny because I was talking to a coach from another team, a defensive coach from another team. We were talking about offense coordinators. He's like, there's really, there are very, very few that he felt understood how to call a game throughout the game mm-hmm. after the first 15. And the one guy he brought up was Kyle Shanahan. And he's like, there are very few of those guys. Most of the time they have a harder time adjusting to what the defense is doing. So, you know, and I don't know if you would agree with that, um, but also like, how would you see a guy like Biennemi in that role? And is there a way to even tell until he gets there? Yeah, I think it's really hard to tell because, uh, you know, what I know he does a lot of game planning. And I think that's a big, that's a big, that's a huge feature in terms of looking for an offensive coordinator. And how so? Tell me, tell me why. Right. So like. um, Simple question, but why? Yeah. So like the, the preparation process. So I remember uh, when I was in Chicago, the tight end coach there worked with Sean Payton and he just kind of would walk through how Sean would develop a game plan and, you know, being around Kyle. And one of the things they do is they say, we are going to get in formation X. Let's get every single cut up play of this formation on the down and distance for planning on calling it and see what type of coverages that we're in. So in a way they can kind of give you the answers to the test as a player saying, Oh, every time we're in this slot formation with the tight end to the right and the two receivers to the left, they line up in two man. What are our two man beaters? Let's call that. The second coverage they like to run is they like to run cover three. So let's make sure we have an answer versus two man and cover three on this play. And, um, you know, let's, let's, let's start it off with a run. If we want to, let's run can to one of these two plays. And from that standpoint, that is just, you, you can't be in the wrong play, I guess, as a player, because you've prepped it the whole week. And so watching what they do in Kansas city, understanding what, what Andy Reid's doing in his philosophy and his approach to beat defenses. I think that is, um, that's invaluable because he's seen that process. He's seen how to piece together a game plan. He's seen how Andy Reid coaches the screen game. He's seen how he coaches <clears throat> some of these deeper concepts, some of the adjustments that they just seem to do naturally in the flow. And I think that, that all that stuff is super valuable because he's going to teach it to this very, very high standard. The next element of an OC is how do you call and sequence a game? And I think that becomes a little bit more challenging. That, that's the thing you're talking Hard. about, right? Is how, how you kind of get in the flow of the game, say that we're getting this adjustment. How do we kind of then respond to that adjustment while still keeping our offensive identity with the plays that we have in for the week? So I think all that stuff is, um, is challenging, but I think the preparation element is something that I think is extremely, extremely valuable um, because it's, it's going to put the players in the best position to be successful and it just shows a higher level of comprehension understanding and grind that um to to put the offense in the best position to be successful well i want to talk to you about the senior bowl and because that that we we know they need attack we know they need an oc we don't know if it's going to be the enemy and there'll be time to talk about him later if it is him um, after the super bowl so let's go down the senior bowl and what what was your what were some of your takeaways because again this team needs offensive linemen corners um, you know, we'll start there. What what were your take? What were some of your takeaways? So let's, I guess, let's start with the offensive line. I think the offensive line group that was there was was pretty good, and it was a group that I think should get you kind of excited because I do think like there's, you know, there's Darnell Wright, and everyone's talking about him. He's the tackle from Tennessee. He's six six, two three hundred and forty five pounds, and he is just. He's got great feet for a man of that size. He's got great competitive juice. He's physical. 
And, you know, prior to the senior bowl, he was kind of like the 60th player on like Mel Kuyper's big board, right? Which is a pretty good barometer at this time of year. And so big board means that there's 60 players ahead of him. And usually, depending on how the draft falls, he will be a 60th player will be available in the second round. Same thing with Dewan Jones, right? He's the big right tackle at Ohio State. After this, I've already started seeing some like fan mock drafts kind of bumping those guys into the first round, which makes sense because when I look at uh, Darnell Wright, when I look at Dewan Jones, when I look at those two guys specifically, they're really they could start for a team today, right? They are starting caliber players that you could get in the second round. So I think I was kind of operating in terms of advising and thinking about the draft that the, that type of player would be right. there in the second round. A Darnell Wright. Dewan Jones, um, Matthew Bergeron's another guy that will probably yeah. for sure be there in the second round, the tackle from Syracuse. Uh, Jalen Duncan is another guy that I think is very, very skilled. But Matthew Bergeron, Jalen Duncan are are kind of solidified in the second round. Those other two guys will probably bump into the first. So does that change your calculus in terms of selecting a player at 16? I think probably. I think, you know, it depends. It depends on how the, the show a lot of process left, but I do think the senior bowl does a good job of allowing guys to show out and make themselves more money. And I think both those guys have shown out and made themselves more money with regards to um, interior offensive line. Let's talk about that real quick. Cause they could also go guard. I think um, obviously Osiris Torrance, the kid from Florida, I think kind of solidified himself as a top 20 pick. Mm -hmm. um, Steve Avili from TCU is a guy who did a really good job. will probably be there in the second round. If you're looking for a guard uh, Schmidt, uh, the the center from Minnesota looked outstanding. I mean, he had a couple struggles in pass protection, but overall, I think he kind of checked all the boxes. I think he'll be a second round guy. Um, do you want to go that route? That seems like a high value for center, but he did play very, very well. And I think the important thing also is that all the offensive linemen did a pretty good job. I mean, obviously there's certain guys that struggled, but like um, Tyler Steen from Alabama is a guy that no one's talking about, but did a great job and could start at right tackle for this team. You know what I mean? And so, I think there is good old line depth in this class. And I, it's funny because I don't see – it's funny because I don't see – like Darnell Wright, Dewan Jones, I don't see a huge discrepancy between them and the top three guys in the draft. I know a lot of people probably would would, would feel differently, but that, that to me bodes well if you're a Commander fan because it shows that there's good depth, you know, six, seven guys deep in the draft for a guy who can come in and possibly start for you if you need to. Well, like a guy like Tyler Steen too because there's some – question about was he would he be better inside or outside yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Did, how did you you know after watching him I mean I thought he'd you know it's funny because like you know you're seeing that's another advantage of the senior bowls you're seeing these guys go up against kind of top level competition and he played left tackle there and I always thought he'd be a very it'd be a very natural transition for him to go to right tackle because he did play a little bit of right tackle um at Vanderbilt I want to say um before he transferred to Alabama and I felt like he held his own I felt like he could move his feet he could adjust really well he had a good base and a good anchor it's not the most conventional looking pass set, but I think, yeah, that, that it looked good. If you needed a guy to play right tackle, I think that would be a nice fit. Now you got to see more. You got to see how we test. You got to see all that stuff. But I, th I think it's, I think it bodes well, quite frankly. And, um, and you mentioned the quarterback class. And I think this is an interesting point. None of the top corners came to the senior bowl. Right. All of them are kind of these guys you'd probably pick in the, fourth ish round there was probably two guys that'll get up in the third maybe second uh stevenson from miami was there he had a pretty good showing uh Kyrie blue from stanford i think did a good job his tape um I, you see the athlete on tape you got to see a little bit more of the playmaker here at the senior bowl and kind of 
you know, a guy cut loose a little bit. So there's that. But in terms of corners, you're looking at, I think, more of those top, top guys. The good thing about the top, top guys, in my opinion, though, is they go deep, right? You got Joey Porter Jr., you got Christian Gonzalez, you got Kylie Ringo. Cam Cam Smith is a guy from uh, South Carolina who probably will be there in the second round when you're picking. So, again, deep O-line class, deep cornerback class. So if you need one of those guys, which which Washington does – I think you're in a good spot. It's just about how you value kind of that first tier versus the second tier and whether you think any of those first tier guys are going to slip to you when you're picking at 16. It's funny because even with the corners, the other guy who was there too, it sounded like he had a good week was Darius Rush from South Carolina. Yes, he did have a good week. And it's funny because like he he was very solid in the man-to-man, like the one-on-one situations. I think the thing that was interesting about him was that um, his tape is just okay. You know, he's kind of an okay athlete, I guess. You know, so for him to come out at the Senior Bowl and kind of show out, I think bodes really well and probably pushes him into that third, second round area, you know, which I think is, again, good for Washington. But they're, with all of the guys at the Senior Bowl, there are, I guess, like warts. I mean, even with the top guys, there are warts. There are things that you're questioning, things you say, how does this translate? But I do think that there were some good kind of depth pieces Um at the senior bowl. And then there were some developmental guys too, that kind of showed you what they could be in the right situation. And um, I think that's always, uh, that's always very valuable for the scouts and for the player to kind of get out there. One guy in specific, specific is Juliet, uh, Julius, excuse me, uh, Brent's from Kansas city. Who's like this six, four, 200 pound guy who kind of fits the mold of Washington. And I know a lot of people were kind of buzzing about after him after the first day. Now he cooled off, but Mm -hmm. You see those frames, you see the movement skills of a guy like that, you see it in person, you say, maybe that's something we can draft later on and then develop into kind of, you know, a Benjamin St. Juice type player. You know, it's funny with the corners too, because looking at the top class, it does seem very, like I've seen guys projected all over the place. Like yes. The kid from Illinois, Dan Witherspoon, whom I really like. He's really I've good. I've seen him. I've seen him projected late in the first. I've seen him projected top ten. Yeah. I've seen. I've seen him projected to this team. So it's. Yeah. He's kind of all over, but like it feels like that corner group because they are. It is a deep group. I'm just guessing that there's not a lot of separation. So it's almost like this guy could go here, but he could also go way down here. Well, let's just take like Joey Porter and uh, the kid from Illinois, for example. Like Joey Porter is a very specific type of corner. Joey, Joey Porter Jr., excuse me. Right. He's long. He's like six two and a half. He's 215 pounds. He's a little slow-footed. He's good in press situations. He's good in like a cover three Seattle type corner. So a team that runs that type of coverage is going to value him a lot more. Uh, Witherspoon, is that his name, the kid from yes. Illinois? He is dynamic to watch. He's fun. He's got great anticipatory skills. He's physical tackler. Like um, he's got good ball skills. He's competitive. I, I personally probably would say he's the second best guy to Christian Gonzalez just because Christian Gonzalez is the best kind of mover of the class. You know, I don't think Christian Gonzalez brings the same level of competitiveness. So for me, I'm like, I want Witherspoon. I want that guy because he's right. kind of got all these boxes checked, but He's not quite the athlete. He's a little stiff compared to Christian Gonzalez, but I always like to bet on the physicality, the guys that do the tough stuff, the guys that are going to fit the runs, the guys that are going to hit the tight end over the middle of the field, and that's what Witherspoon brings. Now, it's kind of who's your flavor, right? Some people prefer the long, lean, Joey Porter-type guys. So, I, You know, if you talk to Fred Smoot, he's Emmanuel Forbes all day because mm-hmm. Emmanuel Forbes is the kid from Texas A&M 
who's this or Mississippi State, excuse me, who's this tremendous gambler. Like he's gambling on everything. He's trying to get picks. He's trying to make plays. He's tough. He's gritty, but he's 180 pounds, right? He's he, he reminds me of like what I think of as Fred Smooth. I was right? say he <laughs> sounds like Fred. Mississippi State, all that stuff. That's Fred Smooth. Yeah. And so, like, and so Fred is like, he's the best corner in the class because he likes the fact that he's aggressive. You know, he likes the fact that he's aggressive and I don't value that as much. I like the Witherspoon kind of guy. So I think that's probably where you see the fluctuation in the okay. class a little bit, right? Is you see that there's there's not like a perfect corner. The, the most perfect corner from a footwork standpoint is Christian Gonzalez, but I question how competitive and tough he is. And I and I value the toughness and the sure. competitiveness a little bit more. So I'm going to go yeah. Witherspoon. So at 16, if Witherspoon's there, I'm like, that's your guy. But some people would say, no, that's not your guy because I wonder about his – how stiff he is or, or whatever it is. And so those are the questions you're going to be negotiating with the top of this group. The good thing is there's like 10 of them, right? right? Obviously there's like a tier one and then there's a tier two, but there's a lot of good corners that people are really excited about. But you know, it's funny, Logan, one of the mistakes I think teams make is they'll draft a guy who they don't consider physical or tough and then say, well, we want you to be, now that you're here, we need right. you to be physical and tough. It's like, well, then why the hell did you draft him? Right. And to be honest, during the time when when Hazlitt was here, I'd hear that a few times, and not just necessarily from him. It just he was a DC at that time. But right. so they draft a guy who was not considered that, and they say, "Well, we need to play tougher and smarter." Well, that's <laughs> yeah. not who you drafted. <laughs> you didn't draft that guy, yeah. right? Absolutely, I think that's hundred percent right. And so, um, yeah, it just really it's really about whether that scouting department and the coaches are on the same page with what they need, and. Um, you know, again, I think Witherspoon would be a great fit here because he does a lot of different stuff. You know, he could play like kind of in that nickel role. He's just got he's he's just a competitive son of a gun. And I like that. I like he's a so good tackler. He's tough. That's what he's like. competitive at the catch point, like all those things. But again, like Christian Gonzalez, I would probably guess that the league values him more because he's so smooth. Right. He gets beat. He can recover. Um, you know, and I, I think that's kind of more the way the position's going. So. And, and that, you know, and, and, you know, for me, like I'm only going off of what I watched during the season. I haven't right. studied anybody. It's just, that's a corner that I've, that I've just liked when I've watched him play. When you're at the senior bowl with the linemen, yeah. you, there are times where you picked something up just by watching practice. And like, do you remember anything in particular about any of these guys where like, okay, this is what stood out to me in practice or even, you know, cause like sometimes you'll hear guys like the way they interact with teammates, the way they do yeah. this. Are there things that you picked up about guys just based on being down there that was invaluable to you? Yeah. So I think let's take the Juan Jones. I know everyone, he's the kind of the flavor of the hour. Um, but you know, one of the things that you're two, two stories with him. So one of the things is that, um, you know, you worry about his foot speed against elite edge rushers because he's a big man. He's six, eight. I think he weighed in at three seventy five. Um, but, and you say, can his length, he has the longest arms ever measured at the senior bowl. Can his length counteract his slow foot speed? And then you see him in pass rushing one-on-ones just lock up, you know, elite college prospects kind of one after another because they don't know how to negotiate his length. That would have been nice to see him a couple days in the row, but you know, on day two, for example, or day three, when he came back out, um, you hear stories about him talking about what the rusher is going to present the tackle, which is really interesting, right? Because you kind of see him walking around. He's got a big gold chain on. He's got his sunglasses on. He's got a big old bucket hat. And you're like, you know, how dialed in is that guy? And then you hear stories about him kind of saying, oh, this is the kid from Notre Dame. He's going to give you speed to power. What is my set going to look like? And that shows a higher level of understanding and a little bit more um, 
you know, a little bit more juice, you know? And so that to me is very, very valuable. Like that kind of story and seeing that kind of player there. Um, you know, another guy is the kid from uh, North Dakota state, um, Monch, who they said, Hey, can you play guard? And he's like, yeah, I'll play guard. Hey, can you play center? He's never taken a center snap in his life. He just hops in and starts snapping the football. And that is the type of guy that I want on my team. He's super competitive. He's a good athlete. He's coachable and he's willing to do what's best for the team. And then for him to just get out there with very little kind of center guard background in his lineage and just compete his face off. I think that is also something that kind of bodes well for that guy. And I've seen him getting mocked to Washington in the second round. I think that'd be great. I think he's an excellent football player, but to me, it feels a little redundant. Like you have Sam Cosme already, you know, you're going to get Sam Cosme. It's he is Sam Cosme, like a hyper athletic, good mover guy. You can bounce around the line. So you know, but I think those types of stories are things that you can only glean from being at the senior bowl and getting that kind of information. Then also Ron Rivera was not there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Issue or not? I don't think so. I mean, so I think while I was there, um, I didn't even know this was going on until I got back and talked to you, you know, people kind of being upset about him not being there. I think there was one head coach there while I was there. And I think it was Mike Tomlin. I think he was there for two days and then left. Um, you know, there are defensive coordinators there. There's GMs there. There's regional scouts there. And, you know, I've had conversations with coaches about the senior bowl specifically. And one of the things that comes up is like, it's all on film. So if I have any questions about a guy, I can watch the practice on film. And I've talked with coaches that I have a lot of respect for who say I prefer to watch it on film because it's all through the same lens. I'm not seeing some guy in person and then watching some other guy on film. I'm get to, getting to see every single person through the same lens. And I and I and the, the guy that told me that is someone I have the utmost respect for. And so I'm saying that's fine, right? Um, you know, you have the GM there, like for, for Washington, you know, Marty's there, Jack's there. Zampezi's down there like how many guys do you want down there to kind of flesh out your evaluation he I'm sure the whole scouting department for Washington was down there the last uh the last two days for the second practice so they're all there and it's not Ron's job as the head coach to kind of be there and make these evaluations it's to kind of get the people that are going to help him make that decision down there so they can evaluate and and give their input and then if Ron needs to kind of get more information. That's what the combines for. That's what the pro day visits are for. So I it's, it's, it's not a big deal to me. Uh, you know, like there's enough guys representing Washington down there. There was one head coach down there while I was there. And I'm sure that's Mike Tomlin's preference and all these other coaches have different preferences. So I think that's always important to kind of keep in mind and keep in perspective. And I think those pro days, when you're looking, especially at some of the high picks, I know he, the weight he puts on that, the value he puts on that yeah. mm-hmm. and watching guys, when you're watching all the same prospects from one school and you're all there in the same spot that you can do that with, especially when it's guys like Dotson and the yeah. first round picks last year, which is where he seems to like to have his. And, and to that point, I think you bring up a great point. Like there is the combine visits. You're going to have the 30 for the 30, 30 visits where they come into the team. You're going to have pro day visits. Like this is one piece of the evaluation process that I think is really just kind of setting general boards, you know, and I don't think that it's super imperative for the head coach to be down there because there's other ways for him to get more specific information on guys that they are very, very interested in. Like, like you mentioned with the, with the, uh, the school visits and stuff like that. And and I'll, I'll emphasize too, if they were winning, nobody would even say anything. And so I think <laughs> everything is under that guys like, Hey, you haven't won. 
do this. You know what I mean? And I, and mm-hmm. I get that. I get the fan, yeah. you know, whatever fan frustration there would be about it. I understand where it's coming from. It's coming from the fact that this team hasn't won in, in so yeah. long that, you know, you want, you're, you're desperate for that. And I don't blame them. I mean, they, they've been yeah. more than patient waiting for a winner to develop here, but you know, the better Sam Howell plays, the better off this staff is going to look, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, like winning games cures all ails, but I just think it's important for fans to kind of get a little peek behind the curtain right. and say that it's head coaches don't go to these things usually, right? Like last year when I went to the Combine, a lot of head coaches that I have a ton of respect for weren't there. They sent other people that to, to represent the organization there. And so I think that's always um, – just important for fans to kind of get a feel for how the league normally does it. And that this information that they glean from the senior bowl is on his iPad probably today. And he can watch anybody he wants all the one-on-ones and he's not wasting. I don't want to say wasting time, but going to mobile Alabama is a little bit of a hike. So maybe his, he can, you know, be more, uh, you know, do fill, fill his day in a different way as opposed to being on a plane to mobile. Well, I think some of it too, is he was out They He was out the golf tournament, but he also interviewed, Anthony Lynn out there yeah, visited his right. dad. He hadn't, you know, there's a lot of things. And I talked about this. We don't need to go into that. I yeah. talked about a previous podcast. Last thing then, after being down there, do you change how you would like the direction they should go at 16, knowing the depth at these positions? Yeah, I think the thing um, that I've been kicking around, because you, you know, you asked me to come on the podcast uh, when I was down there. And the thing that is really digging at me a little bit is did those two tackles, uh, uh, Smith and Jones, did they play themselves into the first round? And if they did, does that that would affect my calculus at 16? Because I think that those guys are special players that can come in and start right now and can kind of be 10, 12-year starters for you, given good coaching and given the right scheme. Um, and they, I, you know, I was kind of operating under the assumption that they would be there in the second round. So now do you say we have to go, um, we have to go corner, we have to go tackle at 16. Broderick Jones, the kid from Georgia, probably is the right fit there because the cornerback class seems to have a little bit longer legs into the second round at this point. So, um, you know, I, you know, I was talking to you before, it was corner then tackle now because of the kind of shift and because of how those guys may have elevated themselves uh maybe it goes the other way still a lot of process to go through but um um i think that's something that i would i'm i'm thinking about hard like are these is this increase in value for that position just because of the senior bowl hype and will it kind of normalize here over the next couple of weeks or are those guys legitimately first round prospects um because if, if that's the case then you're stuck with you know matthew bergeron a steen um you know one of those guys who are good football players but are they they're not the same caliber as those other two guys i just mentioned logan you're the best tell people where they can find you yeah instagram logan underscore pulses 82 breakdowns i got some senior bowl content coming up on there obviously um the command center stuff on which is on youtube the washington commanders youtube page and on nbc sports washington um and i think those are all the big ones the so take far. command podcast that's right take command podcast. Hoffman. Hoffman would be very upset if you did not mention <laughs> that. yeah so. thanks john keep me out of trouble <laughs> yeah. appreciate it they, logan thanks a lot man i appreciate it john That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan, as always, for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. And one of the things I did in the past was I do some of those private Zooms with some of you fans. I want to start doing a, one or two more, a few more of those this offseason. So stay tuned for the next episode when I'm going to talk about how we can maybe put one of those together before free agency 
and, and do one of those private Zoom sessions for a few of you folks. And so there you go. So listen on Friday. Also on Friday, I'm expecting to have Washington head coach Ron Rivera on the show. So, see you next time.